Why, hello there. Welcome. It looks like we're opening back up for business here in Georgia. I hope wherever you are, then maybe things will go back to normal. I don't know that it'll ever go back really to normal, but maybe we can get it a shot. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone lines are open. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Just so you know, the CEO of Waffle House is going to be joining me in the second hour of the program, and the governor of Georgia will be joining me in the third hour of the program to talk about reopening. And I want to start with the reopening because there are a number of things that that I think need to be explored here. For for a while, we've been told that uh, we needed to listen to the experts, uh, the the experts, listen to the experts. And, And the governor was under attack from Democrats saying he needed to shut down the state of Georgia. Uh, because otherwise the virus was going to spread. And if the governor shut it down in March, we could be over the peak at the beginning of April. The governor decided instead to wait until the beginning of April. And it turns out the peak deaths in Georgia was April 7th. And it's been downhill from there. Resource usage maxed out April 15th. It's been downhill from there. Uh, And so the experts the governor listened to told him to shut down the state, and he listened. He didn't listen to the Democrats. He didn't listen to Republicans. He didn't listen to the Speaker of the House in Georgia, who also wanted him to go on and close down the state. He waited for the experts to say the modeling had shifted. And Georgia had uh, had would max out its hospital capacity. At that point, he shut down the state. The models have shifted back now and showed that resource uh, maximized resources were April 15th, deaths were April 7th, and the experts now say that we can begin to slowly reopen. The governor is, is doing a couple of things. Now, there are people who are, well, they're concerned that the tattoo artist and the, the barber, why, why are they first? Why not last? Well, it seems obvious to me that the barber shop and the tattoo parlor are sole proprietors more often than not who can control the flow of their business better than others. You go to the local Lowe's or Home Depot or the Ace Hardware Store, you are more likely than not in the garden centers of said businesses to find a horde of people needing to get out of their house and they're doing their gardening work. And it is a little bit difficult for those stores to keep people spread apart. You go into the tattoo artist and guess what? The tattoo artist is more likely to be able to wear a face mask for himself and wear a, and make you wear a face mask while getting your tattoo. Go into a barbershop. The barber could do the same thing. They can control the hygiene. They know when they've wiped down. They know how they've wiped down. They know what they're wiping down with. They know whether you look good or not. They can give you, a, they can take your temperature. And it is a one-on-one interaction that can be controlled. That seems to make sense to me. Also, they're sole proprietors. If they don't work, they don't get paid. Small businesses can reopen as well. By the way, they don't have to. Your restaurant does not have to reopen. The governor's not making anyone reopen. What he's saying is that if you want to reopen and you adhere to these protocols for reopening, you can do so. The Democrats are attacking the governor, but here's the, here's the, the, the overarching point is that the Democrats said the governor needed to listen to the experts. They got mad at him and said he wasn't listening to the experts. Well, he was. He was listening to Dr. Kathleen Toomey who is his expert. Should he not listen to the experts now that they're telling him he can reopen? See, if the experts mean that you listen to the people that I take seriously, as opposed to listen to the people who are actually experts, then 
all it is is more partisan positioning. And I am afraid we are about to see death become a partisan issue. Let me let me just be real with you. If the state reopens, people are stupid. And stupid people are not going to adhere to all the protocols that the governor insists. And those stupid people are going to get infected and they're going to get otherwise smart people infected who did take precautions, but accidents happen. And so the stupid people will cause the virus to spread. There will, by doing this, be an uptick in, in the viral spread. Let, let's, let's not dismiss that. We will see an uptick. Then the governor's position, as best I understand it, I want to ask him about it when he calls in today. The governor's position is that it is manageable and the hospital capacity in the state can handle anything that comes. We're over the hump. It's on a decline. It's time to reopen slowly, not, not immediately, but slowly with certain precautions in place. But he believes that the state can handle the surge. He believes that the state hospitals have the capacity to get it done. What is left unsaid, but I think is implied, is that we've lost the ability to eradicate the virus. And I think that is the reality, that we've lost the ability to eradicate the virus. So what can we do without keeping everyone locked up? What can we do to try to slow its spread or contain its spread as best we can while not continuing to keep people sheltered in place? Because I do think the governor has this sense, and I think he's right, that more and more people are starting to get out of their homes. The weather outside today is gorgeous. In fact, let me see this. I, I, I so rarely do this but I think it's worth doing right now just to get a sense of this. If you're listening nationwide, I'm broadcasting from middle Georgia. It is 57 degrees and sunny where I am right now with a high of 77 today. When you go up to the gorgeous North Georgia to Blue Ridge, Georgia, it is 59 right now and there's a high, the high today will be 66 degrees. It's beautiful. Go down to Valdosta in South Georgia. The high today is going to be 81 and sunny, low humidity around the state. It's too beautiful to stay inside. People are starting to get out. People are starting to move about. Traffic has gone up noticeably, even though we're still under shelter in place, even though businesses have already reopened. And so what does the governor do? Does he keep you at home and now make the state police arrest you and, and throw you in jail if you don't stay home? Or does he realize that the people are essentially voting with their feet? That we did what you asked us. We stayed inside for several weeks to see the, the, the daily rate of the virus slow. And now it's time to figure out a way to come out. And this this ultimately, frankly, I, I, I think that the partisans out there, including Stacey Abrams, is already out attacking the governor. Democrats are out attacking the governor. Uh, various Democratic uh, elected officials were on TV. I, I did not see Charlie is mad at me, so you should know. My, my producer, Charlie, gets up in the morning. I, I, I have a special a website I go to where I can get all the audio clips that I want. And I got him to cut a clip with Don Lemon from CNN. And he's upset with me and told me he would quit if he ever had to listen to another Don Lemon clip. What he does not realize is that I spared him listening to a second Don Lemon clip talking to the mayor of Savannah, 
who was throwing the governor under the bus. That the governor's going to get us all killed. We're all going to die. Uh, this is unconscionable. You know what? If, if here's, here's bottom line. My wife, given her situation, is going to have to shelter in place until the middle of May. We're still going to have to be careful. When we go in public, I probably will have to start wearing a mask now with all the idiots getting out of their houses. If you don't feel safe, don't go out. Part of the the mandate by the governor is that businesses are not going to be able to force you. If you can work from home, they're not going to be able to force you to go back to the office. So stay where you are. Keep the pattern and practice you're engaged in. I mean, this ultimately is the problem that we're dealing with here is that uh, ultimately the governor requires the trust of the people and the support of the people and requires people to do the things that they need to do to, to make this work. If you people screw it up, that's on you. Now, the governor's going to get blamed. The Democrats are going to blame the governor. But I, there is this underlying presupposition, I think, to opening the state up that we're not going to contain the virus. We're not going to eradicate it at this point. In fact, there was some research uh, done. Somebody sent me the link. I cannot remember who now sent me the link. But it was a research paper of the World Health Organization. I know, I know, I know the World Health Organization. But it's an old paper on social distancing. It's from about 10 years ago. And what they found was that either you, you completely locked down or completely let it spread. There really is no in-between. And there's never been a complete lockdown in this country, even in places where there are uh, enforceable lockdowns and nanny staters and little Nazis next door calling and reporting the cops. People are still moving about. I mean, for gosh sakes, in in, in, in California and Colorado and New, uh, Nevada and Wisconsin, and not Wisconsin, uh, Washington State and all, the, the marijuana shops are considered essential businesses. Now, you know, I, I personally think that's smart. Give people couch lock, have them, have them locked in place on their couch. They can't get up. They're too, too baked to do it. Perfectly reasonable way to keep people home. Give them drugs, make them stay. You know, you go to the hospital, you get on a ventilator that, that they essentially put you in an induced coma so you can't move. The, 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 the home situation is you just give them lots of marijuana and they stay on their couch and they don't move. So I kind of understand it. But even in those places, you can go out and buy it. Churches are considered non-essential by left-wing states, but liquor stores and pot shops are considered highly essential. That's pretty telling about where we head as a secular country. But the, the underlying premise here is people are still moving about. People are still getting the virus. Here in middle Georgia, where I am, they don't expect the peak until mid-May. Now, Dr. Toomey was asked about this yesterday, and I want to do my best to put this explanation in. And again, I'm not the expert, but I try to listen to the experts. Here's Dr. Toomey essentially said, for those of you who didn't hear the press conference, I wish I had the audio. I'm afraid I don't. What Dr. Toomey essentially said is that we know where the cases are going to come from. By and large, the cases are coming from nursing homes and elder care facilities. Uh, this really is a thing among senior citizens who are sheltered in uh, group facilities. And that's why we have to do a much better job there. Uh, I want to spend a little time on this point. But, but her point is that, yes, there are places in the state where they have not gotten to their peak yet. But... When they say their peak, we're not talking hundreds or thousands of more people. We're talking dozens of more people and that it is manageable from a hospital standpoint. And that of the surge of that peak, 
it is more likely than not people right now who already have contracted the virus and their symptoms are going to show up. They are sheltered in place more often than not in a in a group facility. They may have to go to the hospital, but the hospitals have capacity to manage it. In other words, at this point, the prevailing presumptions from the experts who the Democrats said the governor needed to listen to is that the virus is largely contained as a matter of community spread, but it is still spreading in facilities like nursing homes and retirement facilities, and those we have to be vigilant against. And that while there are places that will peak, we know where the peak is going to come from in their communities, uh, and, and we can manage that. We can redirect resources. There are places in the part of, in the state that have wound down, and in winding down, we can redirect the resources now to those other areas like Middle Georgia. That was essentially Dr. Toomey's point. Should we not trust Dr. Toomey? She's world-renowned. She's highly respected. If you remember the show Northern Exposure, Dr. Toomey's life is what was the uh, genesis behind the idea of Northern Exposure, the TV show. She worked at a, a remote part of Alaska. She then took a job with the CDC in Botswana. She's a world-renowned epidemiologist. She's now in charge of public health for the state of Georgia. Should the governor not listen to this expert who says that we can take reasonable precautions and because we're over the peak for the state, we can begin reopening the state with certain precautionary measures. At some point, we have to find the balance of living with the virus around us and getting out of our houses. We sheltered in place. We did what we were told we needed to do to slow or contain the spread. We have slowed it. We have contained it. We have not eradicated it. We're not going to eradicate it, at least not yet. So our options are continue to shelter in place and see a whole lot of businesses go under or begin to find ways to go back to our lives with new precautions we did not have before last month so that we can find a balance. People are still going to get the virus. If people stay inside, people are still going to get the virus. The question is, how do we find this balance? And, you know, people should frankly be wishing Georgia the best to see if we can find that balance as a model for the rest of the nation. The phone number here, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Oh, man, I'm just, I, I got online and just seeing the, the the anger, the rage from partisans about what the governor's doing. And, and there are mayors pushing back. Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms says that as a mayor and a mother, she's concerned. And listen, I understand. I am too. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't uh, concerned. Given what we know about the virus and the spread, I, I do have to say this. I was talking to an epidemiologist. Well, no, I shouldn't say he's an epidemiologist. He's not an epidemiologist, um, but he is actually a, a very prominent doctor in the state uh, who I, I won't say he's an epidemiologist. He, he knows his stuff, though, uh, and he, he knows how to model. In fact, he's one of the, the heads of one of the top medical societies in the South. And I was asking him about the modeling and uh, the people say the modeling was wrong. The modeling was wrong. It was always, it was too high. And it was very interesting. He actually gave me an answer I had not heard. And I've mentioned the story and he referred me back to it. He said that the modeling is not wrong per se. He said the modeling is as good as the data is. 
And the model was formed with presumptions, and those presumptions came from what we were seeing in in, uh, Europe and Asia as the virus was spreading. And he said one of the reasons that the model numbers were as high as they were is because of patient 31 in South Korea. And I remembered that story. Patient 31 in South Korea, she was the 31st patient to be confirmed to have COVID-19. And it spread from people in her community. She had not come. The original reports were that she had gone to Wuhan, but it turns out she had not gone to Wuhan, China. She actually had not gone anywhere outside the country. She got it from someone in the country. We don't know who she got it from in the country, but she was the 31st patient to get it and one of the first to have gotten it from inside the country, not from travel. She was told by her doctor to go to the emergency room. He was sure she had it. And instead, she went to church, and she went to that cult church in South Korea. She got feeling better and decided Jesus was making her better. So she went to a buffet with a friend. And then she got feeling a little worse again, so she went back to church. In South Korea, she, one person, infected 2,000 other people, or I should say they can at least trace their infections. They may have gotten it from other people, but they can all be traced to her. And the presumption is she might've spread it to them between the buffet and the two church services. And so that information affected the model. One person infecting that many people, or at least the the trace back can be to that that many people, uh, that shaped the modeling. It wasn't that the modeling was wrong. The modeling was only as good as the data. And I totally forgot about that person. I totally forgot about that one person infecting that many people. Now, let's be honest here. Uh, the, the data we have at this point is that one person can infect three people. There is data that it is in, more widespread in the community than we know, and more people have had it than we thought. I get that too. And I get the concerns, particularly I, I'm in a high-risk um, home. With my wife, frankly, I, I may be slightly high risk, uh, just given the lung damage to me uh, from from clot damage. So I am certainly concerned, and we will certainly have to be precautious. But I also understand be precautious, be cautious. I, I I understand as well that at some point people are going to leave their homes, and we're reaching the tipping point. The tipping point, thank goodness, comes after Georgia has peaked. The odds are very likely that when people start leaving their homes, we're going to see another uptick in the virus. But there is this, senior centers. Senior centers are an issue. We know that uh, retirement facilities, nursing homes, elder care facilities, memory care facilities, those places are where the virus is causing the most damage. That is is why in in Albany, you know, the, the virus started spreading from a funeral And it spread into the community, and then it got into the senior centers down there. It got into the elder care centers. And that, my friends, is what caused so many of the problems. It didn't start there, but it had the most devastating effects there. So what can we do in those places to keep them safe and secure? Part of it is limiting visitors. Part of it is changing the sanitation protocol in those places. We're going to have to do something. But are you, are are you willing to stay cooped up in your home? And if so, how many other people do you know who are willing to do it? We've crossed the peak. The governor is listening to the experts. 
They say, here's a protocol to reopen the state. Should he not be allowed to try it? I'm happy to take your phone calls on this, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Welcome back. Yes, you can call into the program. This hour, the program is sponsored by First Liberty of Georgia. FirstLibertyGA.com is their website. Uh, They are uh, expected to strike the deal today for the payroll protection program, the PPP program, to add more money for small businesses. Uh, You want to go on and start getting your application in. You don't want to deal with a big bank because they got all the bureaucracy. You want to go to a small bank or something like that. Uh, Go to a building loan like First Liberty. They can help you. FirstLibertyGA.com is their website. Thanks to them for sponsoring. They really are good people. I know them, and they make their own lending decisions, so they're easier to deal with than big corporate impersonal banks. FirstLibertyGA.com. Let's go to Robert Cullen from Fayetteville on the phone. Robert, welcome. Good morning. Hey, Eric. I love your show. And matter of fact, I walk each morning with your show here in my neighborhood. And really, really, you're spot on with everything. I appreciate I wanted it. To, wanted to ask you a question. Uh, I, your email last night that you sent out with the, uh, the graphs uh, showing the daily cases and the daily deaths here in mm-hmm. Georgia from the Department of Health. Not sure if you saw CNN this morning. They threw up the John Hopkins. uh, I'm not sure if it was cases or deaths, but they showed a graph and showed the John Hopkins graph going up for the state of Georgia. And just wanted to see, uh, I I looked all over the John Hopkins site and could not find that same graph. But that's what CNN is grasping onto is that John Hopkins uh, graph. So, uh, you know, I've asked about this. My my wife actually asked me the same question last night because the data is is differently reported in different places. My understanding is that uh, the state is using confirmed cases and Johns Hopkins has started using confirmed and presumed cases. Uh, and so the, the the state is using the the CDC metric for confirmed cases, uh, and also part of the point from the from the Department of Public Health is that one of the reasons that the Johns Hopkins data is differing from theirs is that what the state is doing is the state is going back and presuming when someone got it. Uh, so when John right. Hopkins says we got a hundred new cases in Georgia. Well, okay, we got 100 new cases in Georgia, but they didn't just get COVID-19 today. When did they get it? And so the state can plot forward and show we've still got a declining spread in the state. Okay. Uh, does that make sense well, to just, you? It, it does. It does make sense. Like I said, I just, when I saw that, I thought, wait a minute, no, 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 that's wrong. And I even pulled up your email from last night and looked and compared the graph and started digging and, and, and couldn't find that. And Yeah, and, and you so know, I, I mean, if if you go to the Department of Public Health, they've got everything uh, there, and it, it's easy to understand, it's easy to see, and, and they've got a great graph that shows you, like, for example, um, here's the, the daily COVID-19 deaths in Georgia. Uh, on the 20th, there were seven. On the, the 19th, there were 17. The day before, there were 16. The day before, 16. The day before, 29. And you can see all this stuff on there. So it, it's the, the problem here is we're almost now getting the media is using an apples to, to scare the bejesus everybody. And the Department of Public Health is using the actual raw data, um, which doesn't look as bad. When you start throwing in the presumed cases, yes, it's true. You're treating it like the flu. And as a result, remember, with the flu, the flu numbers are confirmed and presumed. So when you get 40,000 flu cases a year, you're talking about confirmed flu cases and and presumed flu cases. In the state of Georgia right now, what they're looking at is what the CDC wants, which is confirmed cases. That is not not presumed, not lab-coded, but actual confirmed cases. And let me give them to you. 
April 13th, 788. April 14th, 788. April 15th, uh, 601. April, let's see, April 17th. Yeah, April 16th, I'm sorry, 571. April 17th, 412. April 18th is 152. April 19th is 56. April 20th is 36. So we went from 788 on April 14th of daily confirmed cases to 36 daily confirmed cases on April 20th. That's a pretty significant drop. And also our testing has gone up pretty significantly. Our testing capacity has gone up. So for example, uh, there are now, let me see, we, we've got this. And again, this is all on the, uh, if you text data to 33777, you'll get my Substack page. You can go find these links. Um, We've conducted 78,966 commercial lab tests in Georgia, 5,362 at the state uh, public health lab. So we've conducted over 80,000 tests. That's not enough. We want to do more. And the National Guard talked about that yesterday on testing resources, as did Dr. Toomey. And they understand that we do have a testing sufficiency, a testing lag here, slightly less than 1%. But then the high-end states like Rhode Island are only at 3%. So they still want to boost that. They still want to do testing protocols, but they think they can do this. Again, though, here's my bottom line. I'm nervous about doing it as well. And I'm nervous for a couple of reasons. One reason I'm nervous about it is because... I do think it's going to spread again, and I'm certainly a high-risk household. Another reason I'm nervous about it is, is because I know it's going to become weaponized by the left. Every death in the state is going to be on Brian Kemp's hands, according to the left. And what that's going to do is it's going to make it more partisan. And in making it more partisan, you're going to have more people decide it really isn't a big deal, and fewer and fewer people are going to take it seriously. But it's also the press as well that has a hard time taking it seriously. I want to play you this audio. This is from the White House press conference yesterday of Dr. Burks explaining the reopening of places in, in Florida and South Carolina. Uh, the governor of South Carolina announced today they're going to open some stores with restrictions, but they just told my colleague Natasha Chen that they have not achieved that criteria in the White House guidelines about the downward trajectory for 14 days. So shouldn't they not be reopening stores today? We have asked every governor to follow the guidelines, just as we've asked every American to follow the guidelines put out by the president. But each of the governors can decide for themselves whether they've reached specific guidelines in specific areas. I had a question, I think, on Saturday about Jacksonville. Um, and their beaches. So I did spend about five hours going to every state website. And I will tell you that the Florida Department of Health website is extraordinary. And this is what every Department of Health should have. Because when you go to that website, you can see that most of the cases are in southern Florida, in the Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Broward County area. And if you look in Jacksonville, they had less than 20 cases per day and less than 800 in four weeks. And so these are the kinds, when you inform the public and give them the information that they need, then they can make decisions along with the local government and governors. So I'm not going to 
say specifically with South Carolina because I don't know their specific website right now and I don't talk about data unless I've seen it myself. But I know from Jacksonville that they had less than 20 cases a day. And so this is how we need to start informing the community. She's not wrong. She's not wrong. If there's a part of the state that is in decline, and has less than 20 cases a day and has hospital capacity and has testing capacity, why let that part of the state suffer when that part of the state could start again? And I think there are some underlying presumptions in in what's going on here that I want to get to. But first, let me play you this clip from the vice president. Uh, And uh, I I will say again, as we said before, as Dr. Burks comes up to to explain to you what we delivered to the governors today. We told the governors once again today that by our best estimates, we have enough testing capacity today for every state in America to go to phase one if they meet the other criteria of 14 days of reduced cases and sufficient hospital capacity to prepare for any eventuality that may occur. Once again, we have enough testing capacity for every state in America to go to phase one, but we assured the governors today that we're going to continue to work around the clock to expand the testing capacity, support supplies, and to support their efforts to encourage social distancing and the very mitigation efforts that the American people have been doing that have brought us the progress that we see all across the country today. So we got testing. We, we got supplies. It's it's probably time to allow places to experiment. And this is this is kind of the thing here, is that the media, you, you know, Colorado and Michigan and other places are beginning to reopen, uh, but, but they're horrified at Georgia. I have to wonder, and, and I'm trying to check myself, and, and I'm asking myself, is this is this just your partisanship? Because I'm trying to be reasonable on this issue. Because this issue shouldn't be partisan. And so when I say things, I, I want to make sure it's not just my partisanship talking. And it's really not. It, it really is not my partisanship talking here. I, I really do think that there is an underlying premise here. You will find that the states that the media targets for ruthless criticism are the states that if you were to overlap them on a political map, you would find are the states that might be in play. So do you notice there hasn't been a ton of criticism of late about Texas, even though Texas is doing this as well? There's not a ton of criticism. And in fact, you look at South Carolina, the report of the White House did ask about South Carolina, but the the invective came for Florida and Georgia, not for South Carolina. Why? Because Florida and Georgia are in play this year politically. South Carolina is not. Texas is not. I just, I, I find it very striking that the major media criticisms are targeted at states that the Democrats might be able to pick up in November. And that again is going to breed some level of distrust. That again, I think, is going to cause problems when it comes to people believing the media. I mean, look, for example, there are stories. uh, George Stephanopoulos has been diagnosed with COVID-19. He's been seen walking out and about in the Hamptons in New York. 
Chris Cuomo, let, let me let, let me play this video for you. Let me I, I, let me finagle my wires here on the fly so I can do this for you because I think this is important for you to see. Uh, if you go to theresurgeon.com, in fact, I've put this piece up. Chris Cuomo on his CNN show has done the big reveal, the, the moment, the very moment Chris Cuomo emerged from his basement. It, it is on CNN. All right, here. Cleared by CDC, a little sweaty, just worked out, happens. This is what I've been dreaming of, literally for weeks. My wife, yeah, right. <laughs> she was cleared by the CDC. She doesn't have fever, she doesn't have the symptoms anymore, more than seven days from her quarantine. We're still a little scared, so I'll just give you one of these. Just give you one of these. Just give you one He's of these. He's shaking his hand. That, that's Chris Cuomo. But, but here's a, so this happened on CNN. They they released this yesterday at 9.38 p.m. The, here's the very moment Chris Cuomo emerged from his basement where he's been writing out coronavirus for the past several weeks, except here's a story in the New York Post that Chris Cuomo was seen while he had COVID-19, was seen in the Hamptons at a work site where he's building a new house. And a bicyclist stopped and says, is that Chris Cuomo? Isn't he supposed to be quarantined? And Cuomo got mad at him. The guy reported him to the police. Is So is that an apples or is that a bananas uh, commercial at CNN? Is that an apples or bananas news spot? Is that fake news that, that CNN is saying? See, this doesn't help it. When the media itself isn't taking this seriously, they're harassing protesters, saying, this is an organized activity. It is sinister on Facebook, and Facebook must ban the ads. And you've got everybody saying, you must shelter in place. You must be quarantined. You've got CNN doing the big reveal of Chris Cuomo finally coming out of quarantine. But here's a news article that during the time he was quarantined, he was out and about. There's a video of George Stephanopoulos on the entertainment site, TMZ, where he's walking in the Hamptons. In fact, there are reports that that, um, George Stephanopoulos has been seen in the community. Well, he supposedly is COVID-19. What's going on with the media? What are the reporters doing? Is this a do as I say, not as I do thing? All of these things, it is a steady drip, 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 drip of doubt. Either this is a big deal or it isn't. And if it is a big deal, and we're going to need to come to terms with the fact that we we can't stay sheltering in place for a year, we need to come up with ways to see if we can rebuild society economically while also dealing with the virus. And maybe instead of attacking Georgia for giving it the college try, Maybe people should be wishing it the best and presuming that maybe it'll work. They said, listen to the experts. This is the path forward the experts have plotted. Why not hope it works instead of cheering on a partisan talking point that maybe the governor will have blood on his hands and Stacey Abrams will finally get elected? The phone number here is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Remember, this hour is sponsored by First Liberty of Georgia, firstlibertyga.com. If you need to get into the payroll protection program, go to them. Congress looks like it should have a deal by 4 o'clock this afternoon on adding more money, but uh, the media is already saying banks are advising Congress that given the amount of money they want to allocate now, it's only like 
like another $250 billion that that fund could be used up after a couple of days, maybe 48 hours, and that they actually do still need more money. Now, the offset here is that people are going back to business and, and states are beginning to reopen. So well, where on earth are we going? I don't know. We're going to find out. But if we're in the trust the experts phase still, you, by the way, Ari Fleischer, the President Bush's former press secretary, is noting the same thing on, on Twitter that I uh, noted with you. And I saw his tweet after I said it, so that makes me feel better. I didn't steal the idea, but, but it is notable that in Colorado, they're going to start reopening. Notice the media isn't freaked out. They're, they're fixated on bowling alleys in Georgia. You know, here's the thing. If your bowling alley is reopening in Georgia, and it's 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 not immediate, but if your bowling alley is reopening, it's going to have to follow health and safety protocols, sanitation. The bowling balls are going to need to be scrubbed. The seats are going to need to be wiped. The 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 touch screens at most of the bowling alleys you use now they're going to have to be sanitized between uses. All all these sorts of things, the bowling alleys are going to have to do. So why can't they reopen? Why should the small business sole proprietor, tattoo artist, and barber uh, be the last ones to open when they're the, the, the most vulnerable to the economics of this? You work for a big corporation, you're not going to be impacted as much as a sole proprietor who had to close his shop. You know, I, 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 I don't get paid for this radio show. Um, I, I actually spend money to keep the show going. I'm, I'm hoping to at some point boost the advertising enough that I can draw a salary. And I thought I was going to, but given the economic situation right now, I, I decided I better better hit pause on that, see what happens. But I, I've got an evening radio show and I get paid by that radio station and, and uh, the ratings are fantastic right now. Everybody's tuning in. And so I'm very blessed. And, and as a result, I'm I'm using my income now to try to to offset the cost. I, I, I've paid my barber in advance for a couple of months worth of haircuts. And I've, I've been giving money where I can to people I know who are in need. So I can, but not everybody can. Not everybody's in that situation. And there are those who are in need who could go back to work and could be trusted now that the virus has slowed. The decline is, is beginning. They should be able to take certain precautions. They know, now know of the awareness. They now know the situation. There's now enough time for them to get supplies, to get sanitizing wipes, to get masks, all those things that are starting to show back up on shelves now. I was in Publix yesterday, and they, they actually had wet wipes for the first time in weeks. Antibacterial, antiviral wet wipes were in Publix for the first time in, in a while. Things are starting to show back up. So why not let people, now that they know the caution, now that they know the, the, the concerns, let them figure out how to reopen their business, give them some guidelines, make sure they comply, and do it. I just continue to think, so I've got this nagging suspicion in the back of my head that the country may be irreversibly broken. And I hope I'm wrong. But I think it's notable that everyone's partisan position and presupposition going into this crisis remains afterwards. And when a crisis doesn't, shake you up and make you reevaluate and make you realize there are some things you were wrong about because no one is perfect and no one is always right. Everyone is wrong about something. And when a crisis like this, a global pandemic does not get you to reevaluate, that says something about you. That's not good. 
that doesn't mean that you have to abandon your principles and your long-held beliefs. But it does need mean that you should look at your well your well-formed long-held beliefs and views and values and see how the crisis has shaped them and shaped you and, and turn some of the, your your thinking on the head. And if it hasn't, it doesn't mean you were right about everything. It means you failed to accurately consider the situation. There is a quote, an economics quote, when the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do? Now, it's been often attributed to Winston Churchill, among others. We got all sorts of data now. And one of the things that we have from the data is this. The virus is here to stay, or so it seems. And if we're not going to eradicate it, how do we manage around it? How do we contain it and go about our lives? Georgia is embarking on a very interesting experiment, as are a number of other states. And the partisan partisan sniping from the left, I think, undermines goodwill and the willingness to explore and the willingness to find ways. And I think that ultimately is going to undermine our ability as a nation to continue on together. That's That's a real problem that hopefully I'm wrong about, but we'll see. It's great to have a sponsor of the program that I don't even have to read a script for anything. You know, they send scripts, but I don't have to have one with Quip because Quip is my toothbrush. It's my wife's toothbrush. It's my daughter's toothbrush. It's now my son's toothbrush. We are a 100% Quip household in our family, and I will tell you why. Because with some of those vibrating, fancy doodad toothbrushes, they're super expensive. You have to take a charger with you. They're hard to keep up with. Uh, the, the brush head size is so big and poorly designed, it doesn't fit in the back of your mouth, so you can't get the back of your mouth and the teeth clean. With the Quip, it is well-designed. You can tell that it's designed by dentists and designers working collaboratively. It's a great toothbrush. If you don't know what the Quip is, it's a battery-powered toothbrush where every three months they send you a new brush head for just five bucks. So you brush head stays, stays clean and in shape. You get a new battery. It's a AAA battery that it works with. And here's the cool thing. It vibrates great to clean your teeth. And every 30 seconds, it pulses so you know to change position in your mouth. And after two minutes, after you've got the dentist-recommended two-minute brushing, it turns itself off. So you don't have to worry about it. There's no fancy charger to carry around or keep up with. You just your toothbrush. And it comes with a great uh, little travel pouch you can put it in. Uh, it's it's just it's a great design toothbrush. I've used mine for so long. Every time I go to my orthodontist now, I, I have braces. And every time I go to my dentist, he wants to know if I'm using teeth whitener. And I'm not. I'm just using my Quip. Twice a day for two minutes, just like Dennis recommend. It is fantastic. It is such a great design. Listen, this sponsor live read is taking longer than it should because I actually do really like my Quip toothbrush. It is the best toothbrush I've ever had, and I hope you'll agree. You can go to getquip.com slash Erickson right now and get your first brush head refill pack for free with your Quip. That's right. Your first brush head refill pack is free. If you go to getquip.com slash Erickson, it's get, G-E-T, QUIP.com slash Erickson. It is the Good Habits Company and it is a great toothbrush. Well, the great meltdown has begun. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877 Eric, 877 It is notable, I think, that the media outrage uh, directed at Georgia and Florida uh, completely ignores that Colorado and uh, Michigan and a few other states are doing the same thing. But they just happen to be Democratic governors in states considered safe for the Democrats. Uh, and uh, suddenly these are, are um, Georgia being blown up, for example. Uh, Savannah Mayor Van Johnson 
is all over TV saying that it, it's reckless, premature, and dangerous. He, he said that on CNN and elsewhere. Um, so bowling alleys, gyms, tattoo parlors, uh, barbershops, they can open their doors on Friday uh, as long as they follow certain criteria. Theaters and bars and restaurants will have to wait and go slow. Uh, let me Let me give you some of the parameters here. Reopening businesses in Georgia will have to follow social distancing guidelines, screen workers, and take other steps. Uh, We have been surgical, targeted, and methodical, the governor said, always putting the health and well-being of our citizens first and doing our best to protect lives and livelihoods. Uh, Theaters and dining restaurants will be allowed to reopen on April 27th. However, a statewide shelter-in-place order will remain in effect through the end of the month. Kemp said elderly people and the medically fragile will have to stay home until mid-May. By taking these measured actions, we can start getting people back to work and do so safely. Nursing homes and long-term care facilities have been devastated. 295 residents have died. So you got over 700 deaths in Georgia. 295 of them have come from nursing homes, 70 or 45 of them since Friday. Dr. Toomey says nurse, uh, emergency rooms are seeing fewer flu-like ailments. The state is beefing up contact tracing. We definitely have a plateau in what appears to be a decline, she says. Now, others are skeptical. But we also do have to recognize we're not going to stay forever in our homes. Now, here, here's the, I, I got to read for you the editorial board of the AJC. We all look forward to the day we can put this pandemic behind us, but given Georgia's performance so far, Governor Brian Kemp is moving too soon and confusing citizens. He's risking a resurgence of the coronavirus in our state. Yes, the statistical models have started to bend in our favor. While just models, these different analyses of COVID-19 cases and deaths suggest the state may be past its peak and a dire situation is getting better. If that's so, then all Georgians should celebrate that the sacrifices they're making are working. We can't forget that people are still contracting the disease and dying from it. That means that while the pace is slowed, we have to continue to follow the policies that public health experts have urged, lest we risk a resurgence of the virus. Dr. Mark Lipschitz, a professor of epidemiology at Harvard's T.H. Chan School of Public Health, put it this way. If you open up enough, it's almost for certain the virus will hit again. It's just waiting for more susceptible people and more contacts. That's how viruses work. It's a big risk. Okay, so the governor wants to begin opening. He wants to do a phased-in plan. Sole proprietors who can gauge themselves and their customers the best get to open first. Bowling alleys get to open. So long as proper sanitation is taken, so long as there there are measurements of of temperature, gauging of, of customers and employees, things like that, they can reopen. Employers who have a lot of people will have to keep common areas closed. They'll have to keep people from congregating in offices. They will have to do regular checks on the health of their employees, break rooms, vending machines, things like that either need to be closed or wiped down regularly. But people getting back to work. There are 20 guidelines under Kemp's measures that they will have to uh, follow. Restaurants won't be allowed to reopen until April 27th. And if they do, they will have to meet guidelines. Bars and nightclubs will stay closed. 
These will be slow incremental changes. But okay, I, I here, here's 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 the thing. And this this is important. When do we try? When do we try? I agree we needed to shelter in place. I think it was right. And there are a lot of people on the right, a lot of my friends in talk radio, good friends of mine, have vehemently disagreed with me. But I think it was the right thing to do. And overwhelmingly, 60% of Republicans and more than 80% of Democrats and more than 70% of independents have agreed. I'm in the majority on this. The loudest voices you've heard against it happen to be in a distinct minority. And the data suggests it needed to be done. The fact that every global country on the planet has, has done so, other than Sweden, and how is Sweden working out? You know, Sweden has fewer people than Florida and has more deaths than Florida. Sweden's not the good example here that some in the media would have you believe and some on the right would have you believe. We've needed to shelter in place. In fact, I dare say a lot of you still need to shelter in place. My wife will need to shelter in place longer. My wife is dying to get back to her gym. She's not going to be able to do it. She's got a shelter in place. The governor's order makes very clear my, my wife's got to stay home. As a result, I will have to stay home. But, but bear with me here, bear with me here. We're not going to eradicate the virus now. There's been too much community spread. There are not enough people willing to wipe out their businesses by staying home permanently. The virus is going to spread. And the question is, can we figure out a way now that we've slowed it? And that that's why we were sheltered in place. Sheltering in place, con- contrary to what some have said, sheltering in place was never about keeping you from dying. Sheltering in place was always about two things. One, slow as best we can the spread of the virus to two, prevent hospitals from being overwhelmed. Slow its spread so it spreads out over time, but it keeps hospitals from being overwhelmed so it's always manageable. You don't want to get into a situation where hospitals are so overwhelmed that the people who have a stroke, a heart attack, or a car wreck can't get treated because the hospital is overwhelmed with COVID-19 patients. And that's one of the points Dr. Toomey made yesterday is emergency rooms are starting to see a reduction in the number of people coming in with flu-like or pneumonia-like symptoms, which is a sign of COVID-19. So what do you do? What do you do? Do you keep people at home until there are zero cases? When will that be? When will it be that there are zero cases? And if there are zero cases and people go out into the community and someone hasn't sterilized or sanitized properly and and someone picks it up off a hard surface and gets reinfected and starts spreading again, do you shut the place down again? See, I don't I don't think that we're going to shut down again. I just I don't see that we're going to be able to shut down again. Once you reopen, I don't think anyone's going to go back to to sheltering in place. I I just I don't believe it. Until it gets too bad, and by that point it's too late. But what do you do about the people who are being wiped out economically? Does the government buy out their business? They're not going to do that. 
the government's having a hard time getting PPP in place. And there are plenty of us uh, supporting local businesses. Like, for example, Mrs. Griffin's Barbecue Sauce is an advertiser on this program. Uh, MrsGriffins.com is their website. If you go there, you can buy two, get a third barbecue sauce for free. They're the oldest uh, barbecue sauce still made in the United States. They're fantastic. A good southern barbecue sauce. Thank you to Mrs. Griffins for sponsoring. This wasn't intended to be an advertising plug for them, but it is now, so go buy Mrs. Griffins. But they're a small business here in middle Georgia. They, they are in Georgia. You buy Mrs. Griffins at your local grocery store. You're buying a Georgia-based company's product. You are helping keep Georgians employed. And there are a lot of people who are suddenly buying local to support these local businesses like Mrs. Griffins. I've seen a lot of people on Facebook, social media, tagging me in pictures. They bought this barbecue. It's good stuff. It's kind of cool that they're an advertiser because we use them in our house half for years. But if if we all keep sheltered in place, if we all got to stay home, what happens to, to, to your ability to continue to support those local businesses? Do, do we send these local businesses out of business for a while? What do we do? We don't have the money. The, the state doesn't have the money. The federal government doesn't have the money. Listen, I, I'm all on board the idea we had to stay home for a couple of weeks, several weeks, almost a full month. In fact, the governor is already telling people shelter-in-place order is still in effect. He's going to start letting you go out to, to get your hair cut, to get your tattoo. But otherwise, you got to go back home. You can't go to the restaurants. What do you do? If we're not going to stop the virus completely, if we're not going to eradicate it, what do you do? It seems like we should, in some way, in some capacity, be able to begin to manage and figure out ways to reopen. And that's what the governor wants to do. And he's listening to the experts. All these people keep telling him, you know, and this is this is the thing about the, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and, and the critics on the left, Stacey Abrams and the like, they're attacking the governor. People are going to die. Well, people are going to die of heart attacks, of stroke, of car wrecks. That's always been one of the arguments for the people who said we should never shelter in place. The, the problem is, as I pointed out repeatedly, way more people are dying per week of COVID-19 than drownings, electrical shocks, lightning strikes, car wrecks, uh, cancer, um, flu, pneumonia, uh, you name it. Even now, COVID-19, weekly deaths now exceed heart disease. The number one killer of this country, COVID-19, now kills more people per week in this country than that. That has suggested we needed to shelter in place. That has suggested we needed to stay home. But we also now know Georgia's over the peak. We're on the backside. We're going down. And we know when more of you venture out of the house, that number's going to go back up because people are stupid. People are going to get the virus and they're going to spread it to other people. People who have no business doing what they're doing. They're going to lower their guard down. They're going to take off their mask. They're going to not wash their hands. They're not going to have hand sanitizer. They're going to spread the virus. It's going to go back up. It's going to spread. We know this. The question is, can we deal with it? Can we keep hospital capacity from being exceeded? And the governor's team says yes. And the governor's team says, you know what? At this point, we're going to have to find a way to live our life with this virus. Those of you who can't get out of your house, stay home. Those of you who can go to work, go to work. Take precautions. Those of you who are going to be economically wiped out if you don't go back to work, go find a way using these guidelines to reopen your business so that you're not wiped out. Isn't it reasonable to try to do that at this point? Seems to me it is. And it seems to me that much of the bellyaching at this point is partisan. You said to the governor, listen to the experts. He listened to the experts. He closed down the state. 
those same experts. It's not like the governor got rid of those experts and got new experts to tell him what he wanted to hear. It's the same experts who told him to close the state are now saying it's time to reopen following these guidelines, and that's what he's doing. Is he wrong to listen to those experts now? I mean, that that ultimately, that's the question for those who tell him this is a bad idea. He listened to the experts you told him to listen to. He's listening to the same freaking experts now. So must he now listen to the new experts? And if so, why? Is it because they're not telling the governor what you want him to hear now? They were telling him what you wanted him to hear. Listen, if the facts change and you can't change your mind, that says more about you than them. The facts have changed. The facts have changed. The data has changed. It has improved. The governor's still telling people, stay home. And I guess what your what your underlying presupposition must be is that you just don't trust other people, which is why so many of you turn into neighborhood Nazis, turn in your neighbors in. Oh, there's somebody on his front porch. He's out there on his front porch. We got to call the cops. Maybe trust the experts. That's what you've always said. Trust the experts and the experts. I heard the expert yesterday, Dr. Toomey, say we can do this. It's doable. There are some areas where we got some concern, but by and large in the state, this is doable. We can do it. Some of you won't be able to participate, but here's how you can do it if you can participate. Why not listen to the experts? So I, 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 doggone it. I closed the link and yeah, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. The last line of the editorial from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution saying the governor should not reopen the state. They're opposed. It is an editorial board editorial. This is the last line. Governor Kemp may have been too willing to accommodate us at the risk of our health and lives. Let me let me read that sentence again. It, it's a one-sentence paragraph. Governor Kemp may have been too willing to accommodate us at the risk of of our health and lives. In other words, the governor may be too willing to accommodate the demands of Georgians ready to get back to their lives. And he's put them at risk by allowing them to do what they wanted. Now we put leaders in place to make difficult decisions. And sometimes they have to make decisions the people who voted for them do not like. But increasingly, there is a worldview, predominantly on the left, that people cannot be left to their own devices. People cannot be left to make decisions for themselves. Now, I agreed with sheltering in place. I think it was the right decision to do. And if I were Governor Kemp, I'm not afraid to admit I, I might not be open in just yet. But I've said all along, listen to the experts, and the experts have said, do it. So he's doing it. But the idea that ultimately we should cede to the governor all of our ability to think for ourselves is a little bit too much for me. At some point, you and I have volition. Okay, so I'm too Presbyterian to talk about free will. (laughs) 
you know, so yeah, people think Presbyterians don't believe in free will. Well, well, as you speak of it, we talk about volition. You have volition. You have choice. You 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 have the power to make decisions about your daily life. Call that free will if you must. You've got the ability to choose for you your daily existence. And what we increasingly see now from newspaper editorialists is that we should offset, offload, uh, give up to the government, surrender to the government decisions about how to live our lives. Now, there are times that is a necessity. When there is a public health crisis and there are plenty of people who do not take it seriously and don't think it's a big deal, it is incumbent on the government to step in and say, no, actually, it's a big freaking deal and you better stay home. And when the crisis subsides, the government, listening to the same experts, reopens it. It's it's why has reopening become a partisan issue? Why can't we live with the experts and their opinions? And what about the small businesses? I, I want to play for you this clip. This is the clip that got Charlie all riled up this morning. This is Don Lemon. Do I have time for this? I think I've got time for this. This is Don Lemon. Not everyone, but some of the people out there with those protests, they could be helping it figure out how to do some of those things too. So we got to talk. I got some break. He could be shouting those protests down too. They're his people. Man. He could be saying, go home. Don't do this. I don't want you doing this. You don't represent what I'm about. Do you really he want to say that? You don't want me going there because I, that it makes me so angry because every night when I leave this studio and when I come in there, there's an army of people, when I go through, through New York City, an army of immigrants and people of color and poor people who are keeping this city running. They are disinfecting offices. They are cleaning people. They are changing bedpans and they are working. And those people are out there complaining because they don't have haircuts. Who the hell do you think you are? And if you're so upset about it, you should be mad at the president because they, he's the one that's supposed to help your small businesses. I understand that you're hurting. I understand that people are hurting. Yes, people, a lot of people are hurting. But there are people who are frontline workers who have to get out there. I did, I, you, you know I did the color of COVID this weekend. Those people are Great at the stuff. grocery stores who didn't expect to have their lives be placed in danger because they have to work at the grocery store. They're driving buses and you're protesting against, uh, uh, you're, you're, you're slapping the faces of the people who are the healthcare workers who put their lives on the line every day because you want a haircut, you want to go play golf. You're concerned about, of course you're concerned about your business. Okay. At one point, he's talking about the people who have to work. What about the sole proprietor? He has to work too. Why is Don Lemon so interested in people of color and immigrants who are working uh, minimum wage jobs at grocery stores and he can't see that the small businessman sole proprietor, he is in the exact same position as those people are, except the government's telling him he can't work. There's a discrepancy and a media bias in this and that you can't understand the concerns of these small businessmen and these sole proprietors is baffling to me. And it does make you wonder about the worldview of some of the people who present you the news every night. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. My father-in-law says that I don't have enough Georgia tech grads on my radio program that I seem to have a UGA bias. It's, it's not my bias. It's just, you know, the governor comes on a lot, but I have a Georgia Tech grad to talk to us. You probably know his name, 
Walt Amer. He is the CEO of one of the greatest companies in America, Waffle House. Welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing great, Eric. Thank you so much for uh, letting a yellow jacket on your program. Look, I, I'm happy to do it. It'll get my father-in-law off my back. <laughs> let, <laughs> let, let me ask you about how Waffle House, just out of the gate, how it's being impacted by the virus around the state and the nation. Uh, Eric, I, I think it's it's probably almost obvious. It's uh, it's unlike anything we've ever seen before, and it's you know clearly it hit hit the folks like Delta Airlines and the hotel uh, industry first, but it really hit the restaurant industry, in particular the sit down restaurant industry, which is really what we are uh, just dramatically. So almost overnight, our our revenues dropped by about seventy percent in the stores that were open. Uh, and we had to make a lot of tough decisions uh, that we've never had to make before in terms of closing some restaurants and uh, reducing people's pay and eliminating expenses and just such dramatic change so fast. I don't think the world has ever seen anything that's happened this fast before. Now, if I understand right, you, you cut your own pay uh, in addition to stepping up to in, in leadership and making that happen. Is that right? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, we, all of our folks have taken pay cuts and certainly the higher up you go in the chain of command, the, the, uh, the deeper the cuts were, but that's, that was the right thing to do. Uh, our hourly associates effectively have all taken pay cuts with a reduction in hours and, uh, and, and less work to be done. There's really just not that very many customers that are coming in. So, uh, so the entire company, uh, has made sacrifices and and the more senior people have have uh, stepped up to do more but um, but we think the the real sacrifices at the ground level with our associates and our frontline management team they're they're the folks we're the most concerned about right right now so we've got a a new waffle house that opened up down the street from us and we were, we're we were regulars and I noticed that they've been doing takeout uh, and they've been trying to to be open as much as they can. Uh, th their hours are slightly changed. Uh, they've got a steady group of people who are coming by and, and getting orders to go. But when you look at this from a restaurant aspect and you can't do in-store dining now, uh, what do you put in place or, or how do you think strategically to see what you can do to keep the place open? I, it's been some of the most creative and innovative thinking by our frontline team. It's, it's really it's not something we could have mandated from the office, to be honest. Eric, uh, you know, obviously we have a, a large number of regular customers who come eat with us, and they've continued to come by and check on us and and take food to go. But we've had people set up. Uh, we certainly will do curbside delivery to anybody that wants it. They can just call, and we'll walk the food out to them. But we've had people set up elaborate curbside deliveries. We've had people set up drive-through lanes in the parking lots. We have brought food to folks where they're working and all of these uh, industries that are still up and running like the grocery stores. And uh, we've been bringing food to heroes and the hospitals and the first responders. Uh, we've even gotten into delivery through Postmates. Who would have thought that Waffle House would actually have a delivery option available? Uh, we're selling food online. We're, we're selling anything we can, Eric, right now. We're just trying to make ends meet. But it's a whole lot of shoe leather, and most of our multi-store management has really been converted into a sales force out there to try to uh, to bring the food to where our customers want to uh, want to consume it. Now, what do you see in in the road ahead? I know here in Georgia, for example, the governor wants to start slowly opening uh, parts of the restaurant industry and elsewhere. But I mean, just at the next couple of months, what are you guys projecting? 
Well, I can't project uh, anything <laughs> accurately but right true. now. Yeah. I'm, uh, we certainly appreciate Governor Kemp and, uh, and the position that he has been put in to make some really difficult decisions on the way into this crisis and trying to navigate his way out of the crisis. And I know that he is seeking guidance and counsel from many people, uh, experts in not just the health industries, but in the uh, business community as well, and trying to make uh, the best decisions he can make for all the citizens of the state in regards to the health crisis, the economic crisis, everything that's going on. Uh, but we're we're awaiting the final guidelines. But but candidly, we think we're already set up for this, Eric. We've uh, from the very beginning we we knew that it was going to not be just turning the light switch on, as the uh, folks in D.C. say that it was going to be a gradual return with social distancing and uh, keeping the group sizes limited, keeping the capacity of a place limited. We we actually feel like we're a little bit in a, a unique position to uh, to shine in this time because our facilities don't allow large groups in general. Uh, and you can see everything that's being done in a Waffle House. You can watch your food being cooked. You can make sure people are washing their hands. You can You can see that we've hopefully been very effective in screening our uh, workforce so that no one's working while they're ill. So uh, we're doing all those things and preparing for, you know, whatever other guidelines uh, they are going to give to us. But we're, we're optimistic that we can start to participate to help a little bit more in feeding the community, which is what we do and what we know how to do. And it's, it's what we think our purpose is. Well, I know Waffle House has 2,000, 2,100 stores spread around the country. And whenever there's a hurricane, we have the Waffle House Index. That's a a great measure of how bad a hurricane was. And one of the big keys is that if a Waffle House is closed, it it must be bad. And here, there's no physical damage anywhere, and yet there are a lot of Waffle Houses closed. And I I would be curious in your perspective on on that issue as uh, hurricane disaster versus dealing with a pandemic. Yeah, I, you know, I think in large part it has been whether or not the uh, the hurricane was of significant damage. But I think in reality, a, a Waffle House being closed is a sign that that local economy is in, in really rough shape uh, before it was physical damage. Uh, but now it's it's kind of broadened to, to more of a how is the community doing in general. And where we've had to close, it's really an indication that there is very little um, consumer activity in that part of the community and unable to support uh, even a limited amount of business from the Waffle House. So uh, we sense it's we sense it's our role to try to get back to being available to the community, not just the community, but for our workforce, because our folks need jobs, they want jobs, and they want to be there for people. And, uh, and so it's it's something we didn't anticipate this would be used for, but uh, it is being used again as a sign of how bad things generally are economically in that particular part of the community. Well, look, you've been very gracious with your time. I, I don't want to keep you, but I have to ask you the last question because virtually everyone who knows me who's listening right now is texting me and they're all asking me to ask you this question. How do you like your hash browns? <laughs> well, <laughs> I like them uh, every day, twice a day at least, and uh, and I want to like them in all of our restaurants once they're back open and this crisis passes. But uh, I, I'm 
embarrassed to say I'm, I'm right down the middle of the road. I'm a scattered, smothered, and covered guy. Uh, I do, I do vary that from time to time and add some jalapeno peppers or some chuck tam. Uh, but, uh, but that's my style. That's, that's my go-to when, uh, when I really want to have hash browns the way I like them the best. Well, the moral of the story here is too many people listening to this program have my cell phone, but they all wanted to ask me, ask, get me to ask you that question. So look, I appreciate you taking the time out. I really do. And, and I, I absolutely, I'm a huge Waffle House fan and appreciate everything you guys are doing to, to uh, just manage through this crisis. Eric, thank you so much. And if, if you'd allow me, I want to, I want to shout out to someone in particular, a really sure. a group of people in particular. Uh, the state of Georgia has been phenomenal in terms of their preparation and adapting to uh, to this unemployment uh, tsunami that's that's you know come across our state. And uh, I know the commissioner Mark Butler. I don't know him personally, but they have done just a tremendous job compared to uh, the you know the the things we've seen in other states. In, in how they've been able to prepare the state, not perfectly, of course, but to, to take care of as many of its citizens as it possibly can, as fast as it can. And, you know, it's the thing we were worried about the most on the front end of this was our people and were they going to be taken care of uh, when the work dried up as everybody stayed home. Uh, and I just have to say kudos to the state and to Mark Butler and, and all of the folks in the unemployment office for for just going above and beyond the call to take care of our citizens. It's really been uh, overwhelming. You know, it, it has, and I hear the story that they've, they've processed more claims in the last couple of weeks than they ever did in the financial crisis combined, which is just amazing that put, it really puts in perspective what's happening right now. And with a great attitude, and uh, I, I talked, I'm in our restaurants every day, and I talk to our folks all the time, and, and I go to the restaurants in other states over the last several weeks as well, and uh, without without question, the, our associates in the state of Georgia have gotten their uh, claims, their un, their partial unemployment, their underemployment claims, if you will, processed uh, much faster than anybody else. And it's just been a, a, a real uh, tribute to the folks in the state for the good work they're doing. Well, that's great to hear. I appreciate you doing that. Walt Amer, thank you so much for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate you. Thank you. That's Walt Amer. He's the CEO of Waffle House, a great Georgia institution. There are 439 Waffle Houses in the state of Georgia. Uh, that's the most in the country. Uh, number two is Florida with 173 and South Carolina with 169, Alabama 154, all affected by the shutdown. Every single one of them. Uh, so I appreciate him stopping by, taking time out of his day to talk about that. They're not alone. A lot of businesses impacted, and they're going to be slow to restart, as he said. Uh, there is no flipping a light switch here. Uh, there will be no speed up. It will be a very slow process, and there will be a lot of people who aren't willing to venture out. There will be a lot of people who can't venture out. The question is, do we try? Do we try? The experts say now's the time to try, and so Good on the governor for being willing to, and, and you heard the CEO of Waffle House there say, good on the governor for at least trying to figure out a way to get us up and running and moving back, getting on our feet and allowing business to resume based on the guidelines set forth by experts. Yeah, okay. 
so can I give you a suspicion? Because I have a suspicion. And by the way, thanks again to Walt Amer for stopping by, the CEO of Waffle House. I uh, really appreciate it. If you, if you want to listen to the conversation again, get the podcast to the show. Text show. Text the word show, S-H-O-W, to 33777. You can get it at uh, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, iHeart, you name it. Uh, the show is everywhere. Um, but in Spotify now, Spotify, you can get the show on Spotify. But uh, so I've got a, I, I just I got a suspicion here. There is not a lot of data that suggests that this virus relates to heat, meaning it is possible that this virus is not going to go away in the warmth of summer. In fact, some of the hardest hit parts of the country right now, Miami area, is is, is warmer than most. But it is it may be, it, it may be that it slows. So you're going to have areas of the country that are not super warm, at least at first, that they're not going to heat up as, as much as some of the southern states. So let's say the virus does slow in warmth. It might still spread, but it, it's slow. That would put an economic advantage with those southern states that reopened first. I mean, Georgia's reopening ahead of many. It was it was one of the later ones to shut down, and it has uh, opened up earlier than most, or is going too slowly. And we do need to we do need some perspective here. We, it, this is very very important for perspective that Georgia has been hard hit. Let me give you the numbers right now. These will be updated at noon. Uh, but the daily report right now on COVID-19 in Georgia, 19,398 cases, 3,702 people hospitalized, 774 deaths. We're going to cross 20,000 cases in Georgia. But hospitalization is manageable. Keep in mind, there are over 8,000 hospital beds in the state. Hospitalization is manageable. Deaths are always unfortunate. The death rate is lower than the global average. Overwhelmingly, the people who have died have been elderly with pre-existing problems. There are very, very, very few people with no pre-existing problems who have died. By the way, a, a, I talked to a doctor yesterday who said there is a suspicion in the medical community that cannot be confirmed but that those without prior conditions, those without pre-existing conditions who died, more likely than not, are, it, it, particularly if they're under the age of 60, possibly are regular vapors. And this has been a suspicion of a lot of people, particularly that uh, the number of young people who are impacted by this, when the initial data showed that there, there weren't, in fact, when, when you go to areas where there are a lot, when there, there's a lot more vaping, um, there actually is a spike in young people. And what this doctor said is that, you know, there's this myth that vaping does no lung damage. If you irregularly do it, or you've only just taken up the habit, you probably have no impairment of lung function, but that over time, long-term, vaping does not do the damage that cigarette use does, but it still does causes some impairment in the lungs. And that that's what they're seeing. Long-time vapors, they suspect, they've got no pre-existing conditions per se, but those are the ones who are succumbing. 
and is a hypothesis. It is a hard one to test. But increasingly, he, he gave voice to it yesterday, but there are a lot of people doing this. But, oh, okay, so we know in Georgia where the pockets come from. Southwest Georgia has been just brutally devastated. And it has a lot to do with the spread in Albany. And when you talk to healthcare experts, uh, one of the things that they note is that in the black community, uh, churches have tended to stay open more often than not. Uh, and that has enabled the spread within the black community uh, because churches in the black community perform a different role in society than churches in the white community do. Um, people in, in the white community, you may show up at church on Sunday and otherwise you never interact with your church. In the, in the black community, it, it is a part of the community process. And they do think, for example, in the Hispanic community, the Smithfield Farm situation, they're being accused of racism for saying this, but they've actually got a valid point that the, the virus has spread mostly in Hispanic workers at Smithfield. And it is those Hispanic workers who live in communal housing together, shared apartments and the like, who have spread the virus among each other. It is um, how they live and interact and congregate that has shaped things at much more of a, a communal setting than, than your, your rich white people in suburbia who don't even know their next door neighbor. So there is a there is a problem. We know where the problem occurs. We know how the problem occurs, and we now have a better sense of how to manage it. But I just I've got the sneaking suspicion that as the southern states reopen ahead of the northern states, ahead of New York, that has been most hard hit. And keep in mind that so much of the media coverage is focused on New York City because that's where they are. They're not willing to give license to the idea that other states can behave differently and that the virus is spreading differently in other states. Everything's got to be based on what's happening in New York City because that's the media's worldview. And as southern states start opening and they're not seeing the things that happen and the virus spreads more slowly in the south and it's more manageable in the south, the New York City that comes out of their houses and sees the virus spread again and they're like oh my god i gotta shut down again what is the media blowback going to be because i got a sneaking suspicion that we're going to see conspiracy theories break out on the left well donald trump is helping them stop the virus because they're red states he doesn't like the blue states he's taking advantage of this see and it's not going to be true but, you know, the media is, is way more willing to give voice to, to conspiracy. Like, for example, you still have Democrats going on TV saying the president called COVID-19 a hoax. He actually never did that. And I'm stunned by the number of people who believe that he said it was a hoax. No, what he actually said, if you roll the tape, what the president said is that the coverage and the Democratic reaction was a hoax. The coverage of it was a hoax. The virus was not a hoax. The coverage was a hoax. And he was pointing to the media saying he was doing nothing. He was asleep at the wheel. He didn't respond. That's what he meant by a hoax. You don't have to believe me. Go look up the video of what the president actually said. Put it in context. And, and in fact, there are some people, uh, Jake Tapper and Wolf King, or Wolf, Wolf Blitzer on CNN and John King, the three of them on CNN, uh, have repeatedly debunked the talking point. And that's good. They should. But you still see Democrats pushing this. And increasingly, increasingly, we're seeing people walk away from the truth and believe the conspiracy theory. And the media is willing to push the conspiracy theory on the left in a way they would never do it on the right. And so when the southern states start opening, if warm weather helps contain the virus, you're not going to see the media focus on the warm weather. 
What you're going to see them do is say, oh, these are red states. These are Trump states. He must be giving them some level of help. How is it they're able to get through this and the Democratic states can't? How is this that the red states are fine? See, and this is the problem by treating the country as red state, blue state. The country is not red state, blue state. The country is 50 semi-sovereign entities that should be able to deal with things regionally within their own states or regionally, regionally in collaboration with other states. It doesn't need to be red versus blue all the time. It doesn't need to be Trump versus Biden or Trump versus Clinton or the Russians versus the Chinese. It can be Americans deciding things regionally, as we always have done. But the media has decided that it's one size fits all, that it's based on what's happening in New York City. Is it any wonder that so many people are so skeptical of what they're hearing on the press with this New York bias that we're seeing. The South is going to reopen first. If it's okay, you're going to get a lot of media jealousy out there. It's great to have a sponsor of the program that I don't even have to read a script for anything. You know, they send scripts, but I don't have to have one with Quip because Quip is my toothbrush. It's my wife's toothbrush. It's my daughter's toothbrush. It's now my son's toothbrush. We are a 100% Quip household in our family, and I will tell you why. Because with some of those vibrating, fancy doodad toothbrushes. They're super expensive. You have to take a charger with you. They're hard to keep up with. Uh, the, the brush head size is so big and poorly designed, it doesn't fit in the back of your mouth, so you can't get the back of your mouth and the teeth clean. With the Quip, it is well-designed. You can tell that it's designed by dentists and designers working collaboratively. It's a great toothbrush. If you don't know what the Quip is, it's a battery-powered toothbrush where every three months they send you a new brush head for just five bucks. So you brush head stays, stays clean and in shape. You get a new battery. It's a AAA battery that it works with. And here's the cool thing. It vibrates great to clean your teeth. And every 30 seconds, it pulses so you know to change position in your mouth. And after two minutes, after you've got the dentist-recommended two-minute brushing, it turns itself off. So you don't have to worry about it. There's no fancy charger to carry around or keep up with. You just your toothbrush. And it comes with a great uh, little travel pouch you can put it in. Uh, it's, it's just it's a great design toothbrush. I've used mine for so long. Every time I go to my orthodontist now, I, I have braces. And every time I go to my dentist, he wants to know if I'm using teeth whitener and I'm not. I'm just using my quip twice a day for two minutes, just like Dennis recommend. It is fantastic. It is such a great design. Listen, this sponsor live read is taking longer than it should because I actually do really like my quip toothbrush. It is the best toothbrush I've ever had. And I hope you'll agree. You can go to getquip.com slash Erickson right now and get your first brush head refill pack for free with your quip. That's right. Your first brush head refill pack is free. If you go to getquip.com slash Erickson, it's get G E T Q U I P.com slash Erickson. It is the good habits company and it is a great toothbrush. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. This hour of the program sponsored by dynamic money. You can go to dynamicmoney.com. Talk to Chris Burns. You need help with 401k retirement planning, budgeting, family, household budgeting, all that stuff. He's helped us with it. Uh, he can help you too. Thanks to dynamic money for their sponsorship uh, of this hour. Now uh, I, I, we need to discuss the Southern situation. And pulse oximetry, man, I got a lot of stuff and I just keep, and, and Kim Jong-un as well. Yes, Kim Jong-un, I like saying it that way, Kim Jong-un, he, he, he may be in critical, he may already have died weeks ago, we don't know, we're only just getting the reports of, uh, of calamity in the Kim Jong-un uh, household, we will see. It could be his wacko sister takes over in North Korea. But before I do that, Jeannie is on the phone and I want to take her phone call because I wanted to talk about this first anyway, welcome. Hey, Eric. Um, thank you for um, being a voice of reason in this time of calamity that we're going <laughs> well, through. Well, I appreciate it. Um, yeah. Um, 
I'm just curious to know, see if you have any insight as to why Macon thinks that their um, peak isn't going to arrive till the middle of May. Yeah, that's such a good question. In fact, my wife asked me that this morning when she saw the headline in, in the Macon Telegraph here, WMAZ and Macon, all saying that the Macon health officials think they're not going to hit their peak until May. Um, so I, Dr. Toomey talked a little bit about this at the press conference yesterday, and I am extrapolating from what she said. Again, I'm not an expert, but I try to listen to him. I'm extrapolating from what she said that at this point, we know there are pockets of the state that are still going to see an increase even as the overall state numbers decline. What makes it different from a few weeks ago is that we have an idea of where those cases are going to come from and that the hospitals are going to be able to manage those cases without being maxed out of hospital space. Uh, and as a result of that, we we feel okay as long as everyone follows what the governor sets out, reopening the state even though we're knowing. Now, what she said, and again, I, I'm in part extrapolating from this, is that we're no longer really at a point where we're worried so much about community spread per se of you going to the grocery store and someone's going to give you the virus as they walk past you. What it is is that there are nursing homes and elder care facilities where the virus continues to spread. And my sense from what she was saying, and this is where I'm extrapolating, my sense from what she is saying is that in a place like Bibb County and Middle Georgia, there are elder care facilities of various kinds where we haven't quite contained the virus, but we know that the surge that the these areas are going to see comes from those places, and so we can focus on those places without the entire community still having to shelter in place. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay, yeah, that, that now sense. that's my I understanding. Didn't of it. understand. Yeah, it, my uh-huh. wife had that concern as well, and you know, given my wife's situation, and thanks very much, Jeannie, for the phone call. Uh, given my wife's situation, of course, with, with lung cancer, we of course are a high risk household. We'll have to stay sheltered in place uh, for a while. And my understanding from the uh, experts, and again, the, the governor's going to join me at the bottom of the hour. I'm going to talk to him about that as well. Um, so stick around for my uh, conversation with the governor here at the bottom of the hour. Um, my understanding is that there are parts of the state that are still seeing the increase in coronavirus, even as the state numbers decline. Uh, and, and this is this is part of it. Let me let me give you the the actual real world confirmed decline because there are differences in the data. And the differences in the data in large part have to do with confirmed versus presumed cases. Here is the data. These are the daily new cases of confirmed COVID-19. April 14th, 779. April 15th, nine, uh, 590. April 16th, 506, April 17th, 296, April 18th, 106, April 19th, 28. Um, That's a pretty good decline from 779 on April 14th to 28 on April 19th. Those are new cases. So this is the other thing, Jeannie, if you're still listening here, one of of the other things that uh, everyone is saying at the state level is that that when we hear surge, when we hear surge around the state of Georgia, that, that we could have a surge in middle Georgia, that you and I probably, because of the word surge and how the media has covered it of late, we're thinking hundreds, if not thousands of new cases. And what the state is saying is that based on their modeling, they're thinking dozens of cases. So you're still going to see more cases in middle Georgia but you're not going to see hundreds or 500s or thousands or, or 5,000s. 
you're going to see 10s, 20s, 30s, and that that's manageable. And again, the underlying presumption, I think, in all of this is that we're not going to be rid of the virus, that we're not going to eradicate it. And, and, and so much of the conversation has been on, we have to eradicate the virus. And at this point, we're already talking about next year, we're going to have to stay in our, this is going to come back. We're going to have to stay in our, our homes again next year. We're going to have shelter in place again. And no one's going to do that. I, I can tell you that that in my house, we will given our unique situation, but the odds are that most people are not going to do that. And so how do we manage it? How do we allow the Ritz-Carlton at Reynolds to get back up, up to full business? Because I really want to go there. Or Barnsley Gardens, one of my favorite places in the state, or Callaway. I, I love all three of those places. I, I'm desperate to go up to Barnsley and just hit golf balls, have a few beers and hit golf balls and eat barbecue by myself, sit in a hammock all night, do nothing. I'm desperate to do that. When do those places get to reopen? When do we get to go do that? Are they going to have to get federal bailout money? And if the virus is going to have a second wave, do they have to do it again? Or or is now the time as the virus is receding and the warm summer months are coming, is now the time to begin plotting out strategies and putting in place protocols by which we can get back to business and come to terms with the virus? Part of that also involves our capacities internally to deal with the China situation and our outsourcing of so many things to China. The president was asked about that in his press conference. Here's what he had to say yesterday. This pandemic has reaffirmed the importance of keeping vital supply chains at home. We cannot outsource our independence. We cannot be reliant on foreign nations. I've been saying this for a long time. If we've learned one thing, it's let's do it here. Let's build it here. Let's make it here. We've got the greatest country in the world. We've got to start bringing our supply chains back. Somebody years ago got this crazy idea. Let's build all over the place and let's have parts. Let's have a screw for a car delivered and made in a country that's far away. And let's have a fender made someplace else. And let's do this and let's do that. And let's put it all together. And uh, I like making it right. So, you know, particularly on drugs, we got a problem. When so much of our medical supply is from China, we, we're going to have to address the China situation. And I'm going to say something controversial for some of you who are conservatives. I'm one, but I'm one who's okay with multilateral and in uh, global trade and, and free trade ambitions. We can't take on China by ourselves. We just can't. We're going to need to find a way to work with Australia and Great Britain and Italy and Germany and all these other countries that are mad as hell at China. And we're going to have to go to the World Trade Organization or act with multilateral capacity. And frankly, this is going to drive the, the Democrats insane. Find a way to collaborate with the Russians against the Chinese. Because right now the Russians and the Chinese are talking, but there is a long, multi-hundred-year history of bad blood between the Russians and the Chinese. Can we find a way to work with Western powers in Russia against China 
to contain Chinese ambition or push back against them economically. We're going to need to do that. We're going to need to do that. We've got to find a way to do that. Now, I want to pivot a little bit and go back to some audio I've played earlier because I didn't play the full thing. And I need to apologize because it's painful to listen to. Yes, that's right. I'm talking about the Don Lemon audio from CNN. If you weren't here in the last hour, uh, my producer has quit on me. Well, he claims he's quit on me, but he's not really. He's saying he will if he has to listen to Don Lemon again, which just means I'm now on a daily basis going to play more Don Lemon clips just so he has to cut them up (laughs) because that's the jerk I am. But I seriously, I want to play this clip. I, I, I need to meditate on this clip with you. There is a method to my madness here. Let's listen. Not everyone, but some of the people out there with those protests, they could be helping it figure out how to do some of those things, too. So we got to talk. I got to break. He could be shouting those protests down, too. They're his people. Man. He could be saying, go home. Don't do this. I don't want you doing this. You don't represent what I'm about. Do you really he want to say that? You don't want me going there because I, that it makes me so angry because every night when I leave this studio and when I come in there, there's an army of people. When I go through, through New York City, an army of immigrants and people of color and poor people who are keeping this city running. They are disinfecting offices. They are cleaning people. They are changing bedpans and they are working. And those people are out there complaining because they don't have haircuts. Who the hell do you think you are? And if you're so upset about it, you should be mad at the president because they, he's the one that's supposed to help your small businesses. I understand that you're hurting. I understand that people are hurting. Yes, people, a lot of people are hurting. But there are people who are frontline workers who have to get out there. I did, you you know, I did the color of COVID this weekend. Those people are at the grocery stores who didn't expect to have their lives be placed in danger because they have to work at the grocery store. They're driving buses and you're protesting against, uh, uh, you're you're slapping the faces of the people who are the healthcare workers who put their lives on the line every day because you want a haircut, you want to go play golf. You're concerned about, of course you're concerned about your business. Tell the president that. And you're out there with with um, with guns, with with weapons strapped to your chest saying, oh, you want to get you're, you're you're fighting against the people who are telling you to stay at home, trying to save your lives. You're upset with those people. In the meantime, there are people who are keeping your cities going, keeping your loved ones alive. And you want to get a haircut. Who the hell do you think you are? Someone who wants out of their house, who has a small business that you don't know how to operate and they do. Notice he never mentioned Nancy Pelosi. He mentioned the president. The president's supposed to help your small business. No, that's Congress's job. Congress allocates the money. It's the Democrats who have been holding up PPP. But he didn't want to blame them. He only wants to focus on the Republicans. And he wants to attack the protesters. If you're a listener to this program, you know I'm on board shelter in place. And I'm concerned about that we're opening too soon. But I'm going to give the governor the benefit of the doubt because he's listening to the experts who told him to close it. Now they're saying open it. So give him the benefit of the doubt. But I'm concerned. But I also know, for example, my barber, if he doesn't work, he doesn't eat. That's why I paid for a couple months of haircuts in advance. Uh, I know that my wife has, I don't have any tattoos. My wife does. The tattoo artist she uses, he's a sole proprietor. If he can't be in there, doing tattoos, how's he earning money? 
And the PPP, the Payroll Protection Program, is structured mostly to benefit small businesses with employees and not sole proprietors. It's more difficult. And even that, that money's being tapped out. By the way, if you need to get into the program, it's going to be refunded. It looks like we'll we'll have more funding for it. Uh, go on and reach out to First Liberty of Georgia, firstlibertyga.com. Uh, let a small Georgia company help you get into the program instead of relying on a big bank. Firstlibertyga.com. But does Don Lemon not realize that the people are protesting because they are suffering? He's so focused on... Um, the racial injustice of minimum wage minority workers working in hospitals and grocery stores and sanitation and janitorial places. He doesn't actually see the, the um, middle-aged white woman who has a clothing shop that she can't open. She's got inventory she can't sell and sell and she's on the hook for it, but he can't see her. He can't see the barber. He sees the person who wants the haircut, but he can't see the barber who can't get paid. Why not? If you're going to show contempt for the protesters, do a better job of at least understanding them, and I bet you won't show as much contempt. Because I disagree with the protesters, and I disagree with the mass protests. I disagree with their points by and large, and I disagree with them going in crowds and strapping guns over their shoulders because it plays into every stereotype the left has and makes it harder to actually have a conversation about what's going on. But I at least have made an effort to understand the underlying concerns, and I at least recognize the legitimacy of the concerns. When an anchor at CNN can't, he just sees a bunch of white people protesting. He doesn't see the barber. He sees the person who wants the haircut. He doesn't see the shop owner. He sees the person who wants to go to the shop he's not actually seeing an accurate representation of America. And it makes you wonder how he shapes the news on a daily basis when that's the case. And I say that as somebody who likes the guy, but I think he fundamentally gets it wrong. And I think the left piling on these protesters in the media only emboldens the protesters, but also shows more and more how the media can only see one side of the situation here and is even making no attempt to see the other side and look at it fairly. Coming up after the next commercial break, Governor Kemp is going to join me to talk about uh, his order and getting people back to work. Uh, there is still other stuff going on, including this oil situation. Let me explain it to you. So you could yesterday, at one point, you could be paid. Uh, this sounds counterintuitive, but you could be paid $37 per barrel of oil that you bought. You, you would go, but it was selling at negative $37, meaning that the seller was going to pay the buyer. Now, why? Now, for perspective, that this don't, don't freak out yet. That's for the May market for commodities. In June, oil is still selling at $22 a barrel. Uh, the problem is that there is no capacity left. The president is thinking of filling the strategic petroleum reserve right now, which would actually be a good thing um, because the government could, could almost do it for nothing. And we got to refill the reserves. We have it in a while. It would also help stabilize the oil market if the government did it at this point, that level of government. You know, normally you don't want the government buying uh, to refill the strategic petroleum reserve because that causes the price to go up. But at this point, if it's a negative price, you do need the price to go up uh, to stabilize the market. And the government buying to fill the reserves right now actually would not be a bad thing for the president to consider doing. And it looks like uh, they may very well do that. 
And based on the record low price of oil that you've been seeing, it's uh, at a level that's very interesting to a lot of people. We're filling up our national petroleum reserves, strategic, you know, the strategic reserves. And we're looking to put as much as 75 million barrels into the reserves themselves. That would top it out. That would be first time in a long time it's been topped out. We'd get it for the right price. Yeah. It's it's worth doing. Very much worth doing. Now, the question is, what happens? Well, so here's the reason why uh, it, it fell to negative $37. You have to, I actually had this explained to me by a commodity trader, you have to have the capacity to physically get the oil. Most of the oil is picked up in a place in Oklahoma and transported to your refineries or storage facilities. And the problem is there are no storage facilities other than the Strategic Petroleum Reserve with the capacity right now to hold the oil because a refining has slowed because people globally aren't purchasing cars or driving cars or trains or anything else. Um, by the way, this is for those of you who think we're, we're, we're wrecking our economy. Just consider every country on planet earth right now is in the same boat. The reason oil is at negative $37 is not because Americans aren't buying oil. It's because nobody is buying oil. One of the upsides, the silver lining in this is that it's hurting Iran and Russia right now, which is actually not a bad thing, but uh, there's no reason to freak out long-term unless the situation changes for June. If you have two months of this, then it's a real concern, but one month of this is nobody's seen this before. It is a statistical anomaly and it's not good, but it's also not uh, absolutely devastating. We may be in a situation of deflation. Even though the government is printing a bunch of money, uh, we could essentially be in a situation where prices are starting to decline and, and, and that gives us a depression. You know, a, a, a recession is when there's an economic slowdown, two, two quarters of negative growth. A depression is, is not just when you have negative growth, but also prices are declining. And we may be in a situation where we, we may be headed to that, but we're not there yet. And with states starting to reopen, we may not get there. And that's a good thing. It is a thing we should be mindful of. And we should be encouraging states to try to find ways to get back to work. I think that would be a good thing. Now, that being said, coming up, I'm going to talk to the governor about his plan. And I want to get a sense from him of what exactly is it going to take to get us back to business? And how is this going to be enforced to make sure people are minding what they need to do? Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here and joining me right now after the big press conference yesterday, the governor of the state of Georgia, Governor Kip. How are you? Hey, morning, Eric. So it, it, let me, I, I got all sorts of questions for you and it's the one I'm getting the most overwhelming from people is why is this the time to reopen? Well, I think, you know, look, we continue to follow the science and the data, um, the advice of Dr. Toomey and, you know, the folks that are battling this on the ground every day, but it's also on what, what we're seeing out there and talking with hospital CEOs, our bed capacity is continuing to go down. We have the ability to, to handle, you know, the so-called surge that we thought was going to be May 1st, that now the model has changed and said that the surge is actually behind us. We're certainly seeing that in places like Albany uh, with the data that's been flattening. 
our uh, emergency room visits are down. Uh, reports of flu-like illnesses is declining. So all of these things are gating us to move into that phase one um, category that the president talked about for opening up America. And I would I would just tell your listeners too, Eric, this is not just throwing the keys out there to every business in the state and open them back up. The uh, stipulations with opening are still out there. Many businesses have been able to operate under those guidelines before yesterday and before this Friday, this is simply allowing the businesses that we actually closed when we were going into the peak to try to make sure we had enough hospital beds in the state to reopen with minimum basic operations. Now, there are some like in in Middle Georgia, for example, in in Macon, the local hospital authorities and health officials are saying that their surge isn't going to come until sometime in May. Uh, is that deviating from what you guys are hearing or is that contemplated in, in this uh, slow open? Well, I, I'm not really following the model that they're looking at. I know our models are, are not, you know, not pointing to that. I'd have to look at Macon specifically. Uh, but look, we've seen surges in other places. You know, we had a, one of the worst hot spots in the country in Albany and we handled that situation while it was not fun going through. Uh, we put a lot of resources on the ground from the National Guard. We've stood up sheltered hospital facilities at Phoebe North. Uh, and actually, Phoebe is taking patients from uh, Tifton right now because they have their ICU beds that are, that are full, whereas, you know, week 10 days ago, they were diverting patients to other places. But our hospital capacity now is as good as it's been, plus we have the additional facilities that we're dropping in four uh, places around the state, as well as the 200 extra beds at the World Congress Center that we opened the other day. Now, one of the things I, I, I have spent really two hours pointing this out, that you were assailed in March by a number of people who said you needed to listen to the experts. And uh, when Dr. Toomey, who is is our resident expert in Georgia, said it was time to shut down the state, you did. And Dr. Toomey, I heard at the press conference, said she thinks if we keep these parameters in place, the state can be open. And, and now suddenly people are attacking you for listening to the same experts. And it, there there seems to be a, a a level of a no-win situation that you're in with people that moving forward, seeing some of the rhetoric out there that uh, the, you've got newspapers, media outlets, and, and partisans that anyone who dies or gets this virus from here on out, it looks like they're prepared to blame you for it. Well, that, that comes with the territory. Eric, I'm not worried about the pandemic politics that we're seeing from some. I'm following the science and the data uh, from a lot of people, a lot of conversations I've had with people that are living this on the ground every day, like your hospital CEOs that, uh, you know, have been dealing with this for months. But they're the ones saying that, look, a measured step forward is the right one to take. Uh, Dr. Toomey, you know, she's one of the best in the country, if not the best, in my opinion. You know, I've had at-length conversations with her as well as my staff has had with her looking at the data and the models and how the numbers change. And I think a lot of people don't really realize the numbers that we're posting every day, you know, those tests may have been taken five or six days ago. So the data is always trailing what's really happening on the ground. What we're seeing on the ground is, is where we want to be, and that's, that's coming down. And I realize we may see more cases come up. Uh, that's going to be the nature of putting more people back out into the workforce. But we're also a lot better prepared to handle this. If you remember back on the guidance early on to do the shelter in places and to do, you know, the 15 days to stop the spread that the president, the vice president were talking about, 
It was to keep our hospitals from getting overrun. We are in very good position right now well, where that will not happen. And I would urge my fellow citizens that they continue to follow the order that we still have in place, the shelter-in-place order, practice strict social distancing. You know, don't travel unless you need to. Um, but but there's also other medical and social ramifications of these business owners and these employees of not working, not being able to provide for their families. I mean, the strain that we're seeing on our food banks in the state right now with people literally um, getting in a position where they can't feed their families, you know, there are, there are health ramifications with that. On the mental health side, we're seeing increased trauma in our emergency room. And I would just say all the naysayers, you know, they're not worried about that part of it. But I have to be because that is something that will be detrimental to our society, not just while we battle this virus, but for generations. Well, in I guess in that regard, we keep hearing people like the, the professor at Harvard the other day saying that we may have to shelter in place until there's a until there's a vaccine or someone else saying we may have to do it all over again. Uh, is is there a presupposition here, an underlying belief that at this point we, we we're not going to eradicate the virus? We need to start trying to figure out ways that we can, as a society, go about our lives and and mitigate and, and suppress the virus as best we can while doing so. Well, I, I would tell your listeners that, you know, I understand, you know, people from uh, smart people from Harvard getting quoted in newspaper articles. But <laughs> Dr. Toomey also went to Harvard and she has a lot of real world experience on this. And uh, she is lockstep in what we're doing. So she feels very confident that well, she's confident in two things. She knows, number one, that Georgians had, had adhered to our advice and it's working. We have helped flatten the curve and are going to continue to do so. People will continue to act responsibly but she also knows that you know we've got to deal with this situation we got there's not going to be a cure that's going to be here next week or next month Um, there's not going to be a vaccine that's going to be here yet next year next month but we now have the things in place to meet the gating criteria to move into phase one of the reopening of america and part of that is for us to be doing a better job of testing, which I talked extensively, I mean extensively about that yesterday at the press conference of what the National Guard is doing. That is also going to free up Dr. Toomey and her team to do the contact tracing that we need to have in place to be able to run this thing down, you know, when we get a positive of someone and be able to contain the spread like we weren't able to do when we didn't really understand or know you know, number one, how quickly the virus was spreading, but number two, that, that we didn't even know it was here. I mean, I'm convinced from talking to healthcare folks and other people that there's a lot of people that had the coronavirus back in January that didn't test positive for the flu and didn't test positive for strep, couldn't figure out what was wrong with them, and then, you know, they, they ended up coming the other end of it, and they're well now, but they probably had the coronavirus. You know, it, it's funny you should say that because I've had more than one person either on this program or, or the or my other program have called in and said that if something either similar happened to them or, or, or someone in their family mid-January, flu, pneumonia, everything, tested negative for everything and, and had come into contact with people who had come from abroad and yet couldn't get a COVID-19 test. And there seems to be this growing a growing belief that that's that's the case now it, it, before i let you get out of here I, I feel obligated to ask you this question the budget left unresolved for the coming year clear tax revenue strain on the state uh given what's going on uh, what's your present thinking on on where we're going to head with that 
Well, it's not going to be a good one, that's for sure. I mean, we took it on the t- uh, chin from our revenue perspective. We'll know a lot more about that here in the next few days when we see the updated numbers for the current month that we're in. You know, we're the date on revenues is always trailing a month behind. So last month was actually fairly decent. Uh, we expect this month to be terrible, but we got to balance our budget. So I had some initial conversations with Lieutenant Governor Duncan, Speaker Ralston. Um, our team has been talking to Chairman England and Chairman Tillery, uh, the budget appropriations chairs in the House and the Senate. And we're actually going to be meeting again this week to start get those conversations started and really start digging down as to how we're going to deal with that. And then we still, Eric, as you know, have a lot unknown of what's coming from the, the federal stimulus out there and how that will affect the states. They've sent us a, a lot of money to deal with the cost of the of the COVID virus, but that doesn't deal with the revenue shortfall. So we're going to have some tough choices to make uh, in the in the future. Well, listen, I, I'm I'm glad you're there to make those tough choices. I've been telling everybody that who's who's been complaining about the steps you've been taking. Think of the alternative. I'm I'm glad you're the one there making these decisions. I appreciate your leadership on this, and know it is no easy task. And and thank you very much for spending some time with me this morning. Oh, great to be with you. And I would just end with, uh, you know, I mentioned yesterday we did this on Monday. It doesn't go in effect till Friday. We're going to be putting out guidance and. You know, a lot of public information in the next two or three days to continue to educate everybody on exactly what this means and how they're going to have to operate. And a, a lot of folks have, have overreacted too soon before even seeing, you know, how folks can be dealing with this. We're having great conversations with the industry, and uh, I think people are going to see the new norm, and it's going to be a good thing for our state. Well, let, let me just ask you real quick before you get off here, then. One of the, the issues out there has been you've been very good, I think, with the shelter in place of not really cracking the whip on people most people doing what they need to do uh will we see some level of of enforcement for these businesses once they get back to make sure they're doing what they need to do yeah we've been doing enforcement i mean we shut two businesses down yesterday that were operating in violation of the shelter in place Uh, that is not what we want to do what we've been doing is helping educate the public and help educate businesses on if they can be open how they have to operate under the guidelines or if they're out you know, on a beach that so they can't, you know, stick a cooler and a umbrella in the ground. They got to go out there and take a walk or take the dog out or let the kids run around for a little bit and social distance themselves. So we'll continue to do that. I don't want to have to go around and write a bunch of tickets or, you know, start arresting people. But if people just do not adhere to what we're saying, we'll certainly do that. And the public's been a big part of that. They've, You know, we've had a lot of complaints. Some of them warranted. Some of them were not. And we'll continue to do enforcement as needed so that people comply with the orders because they are um, to keep our people safe and they do work. And um, that's just, you know, how we're going to deal with it. Well, Governor, thanks very much for stopping by. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Thanks, Eric. You too. Governor Brian Kemp, we will be back. All right. Back to the phones we go uh, to Patty. Welcome to the program. Patty, how are you? I'm great, Eric. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, my question is, as I watched the governor yesterday, he did not specifically say that dental practices could reopen. And I'm already starting to see online multiple offices saying, we're taking appointments, call us. And I didn't specifically hear him say that we could do anything other than what we're already doing, which is just to see emergencies only. 
So I'm curious as to how this is affecting us and what are the guidelines. I can't find anything online through the Georgia Dental Association. I don't see anything posted from the ADA other than the emergency criteria. Can you shed some light on that? Yes. Uh, They should have the guidelines ready to go by tomorrow for everyone. Uh, They are opening tomorrow or on Friday, they will open uh, sole proprietor businesses uh, like barbers uh, and uh, tattoo artists, people like that who are, are sole proprietors. On Monday, they will begin allowing other small businesses to open, provided, however, that a number of things are in place. For example, you will have to continue to limit the number of people uh, at your at your business. Uh, those who are, are particularly medical providers will have to keep their, their masks on. Uh, if masks are available for customers, customers will need to be able to wear masks. People need to be uh, monitored for temperature. Employees in particular monitoring for temperature. They're gonna have a number of guidelines out and essentially what they intend to do is to categorize the business. If your business is this, here are your guidelines. If your business is this, here are your guidelines. And make it as easy as possible for businesses to understand. Uh, Their number one priority from talking to people familiar with the governor's thinking and, and Kathleen Toomey's thinking is that there are a lot of small businesses, particularly sole proprietors, uh, where there's only one or two people in the business. And they will be able to open on Friday, and they should be the first ones to go back and that's counterintuitive to what some people in the media would have you believe. And, and the reason that, that uh, Georgia wants them to go back first is not just because if they don't work, they don't eat. But it's also because they are such a small business. You're talking one or two people in the business. They will be able to control access to the business in ways that a bigger business can't. So let's take the tattoo parlor, for example, that gets to open on Friday. You're typically one or two people in there and a customer or two. If they're two tattoo artists, you got two customers. So that's four total people in the entire business. You can sanitize and clean. You can do so, which you already do between customers anyway. You'll be able to wipe off the doorknobs, clean the bathroom, all that sort of stuff, and wear masks. Get masks. You wear them, your customer wears them, and you'll be able to, by and large, uh, control the access to your business and how long people are there. And if you have any suspicions about someone, you'll be able to take their temperature. Won't be considered an invasion of privacy, take their temperature and let them have access. If you are a medical practice, one of the things that the governor and and, uh, the, the medical community are noting is that the medical community is starting to be severely financially impacted by this. And in particular, a lot of hospitals uh, make their money, particularly nonprofit hospitals, make their money with elective surgery. And if you can't get in for the elective surgery in the hospital, you the hospital's not going to make money. And so they got to figure out a way to get that going again. So what are they going to do there? Well, if, if you've got a small business and you, and you are a doctor's office, you're going to have to spread out your appointments so people can come in, but be spread out. You're going to have to sanitize the office. You're going to have to be wiping down the waiting room, wiping down the door handles, getting people to wear masks. If you're a dentist's office, you're going to be wearing the mask when they're opening their mouth, breathing on you. And you're going to have to be comfortable with the risk. Your employees are going to have to be comfortable with the risk as well. You're probably going to need to take people's temperature, make sure that they're, they're they're running normal. There will this will not be going back to business as usual, and and that is 
um, part of the concern. You will not be able to go back to business anytime soon in the way you were conducting business before the virus. There is a concern, and you heard the governor voice it in my conversation with him, that the virus is here to stay at this point. And because the virus is here to stay at this point, we're going to have to find ways to accommodate the virus and work around the virus and make sure that we don't spread the virus, but also understanding that people are stupid and people are going to do the things they shouldn't do, and that's going to cause the virus to spread. And can we contain it? Can we handle the surge? Can we do what must be necessary to keep businesses open? And part of that is on the business owner here. The state only has so much manpower to be able to get businesses to to regulate. The state only has so much of an ability to get local businesses to do the things that they are compelled to do. This is going to be on business owners. Business owners are going to have some responsibility here. You know, I I mentioned several weeks ago, I I was at my local Lowe's, closer to my house than than the Home Depot. The Home Depot had everybody spread out, taking their temperature before they, they could let them in. The Lowe's was not. Everybody could go in. And people were packed in there. There were a lot of people. And then we got into shelter in place, and that was the same thing. And then the governor cracked down, and suddenly you saw some change in behavior, but still, by and large, the hardware stores are the worst. They're all packed. My local Ace Hardware, a lot of people in the garden center, now they're spread out. They're not right clustered around each other, but a lot of people in there, and I don't blame them. I mean, the, the odds are still slim on getting the virus, but your behavior is going to have to change. And here's the problem. And I I don't know that I can make this more clear than saying it this way. If your behavior does not change, the virus will come back aggressively. We will see hospitals overwhelmed like what happened in Darty County. And we will shut down again whether you want to or not. The governor will have no choice. Now, I've said multiple times, I realize on this program today, that we're not going to do it again. I think a lot of people won't comply with it. But we got to do what we can. We've got to figure out a way forward. If the virus isn't going to go away, we've got to figure out a way forward with the virus. Part of that involves gyms, for example. You're going to have to, if you're a gym owner, you're going to be having employees or yourself scrubbing floors and wiping down equipment constantly. You're going to be making your gym owners, you're going to have wipes out. You're going to have to have wipes out for the gym members to be wiping down equipment. Let them bring their own wipes, let them bring their own towels. Things like that. You're going to have to change the way you've done business if you want to go back to business. But it's time for us to try in the post-pandemic world. Let's figure out a path forward if we can. The governor of Georgia is leading the way.